everyone. Happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. Having said that, uh, rest at ease. I'm not here to preach to you on uh, how to be a Christian father. I'm not here to point out, you know, what you're doing wrong or but what you guys are doing wrong and uh, what not. But uh, I was thinking, what's the goal? What's the goal of my sermon today? Oh, thank you, man. Um, so my goal this morning is to give you an idea of what to give your Heavenly Father for Father's Day. What kind of gift do you give God your Father? So I want to start off by uh, reading some verses from Daniel. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel for Father's Day. But this is great. Hang on to this and uh, then I'll pray and then we'll get into this. So Heavenly Father, please bless your word. Daniel 7, some selected verses. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and his vision passed through his mind. And, and as, he was lying, uh, as he was lying in bed, he wrote down the substance of his dream. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days, that is the Lord God, took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair on his head was white like wool. His, thrones, his throne was, a flaming, it was flaming with fire, and its wheels were ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated. The books were opened. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, or a human one, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations and people of of every language worshipped, worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. That will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. The Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. Then the sovereignty, power, and the greatness of all kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be everlasting kingdom. And all the rulers of, and all the rulers will worship and obey him. So, our Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you that we can gather together, Lord Father, to know you more. We know that this is eternal life to know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ has, that you have sent. And Lord Father, we know that it's your desire to know you more, for this is why you gave us your word. This is why you, you've, you've give, given us your spirit, so that we may know you. So, Lord Father, may your desire to know you be uh, <clears throat> reflected in our hearts, Lord, Lord Father. May we have a desire to know you. And, Lord Father, may we uh, just gather <clears throat> with the power of the Spirit in the name of Jesus this morning. Amen. So, on the Sermon on the, on the, sermon, uh, on the sermon of the Mount, Jesus uh, taught his disciples to pray, right? We all know it very well. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So these are the, these are the verses that I want to use like as a launch pad for my talk uh, this morning. So as we saw in Daniel's vision, um, a very uh, highly symbolic vision, but just representation of who God is, his attributes, right? He is pure. He is wise. He is majestic. He is sovereign, uh, sovereign. Uh, <clears throat> above all things. And we, and we read in Psalm 113, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O you his servants. May the name of the Lord 
be praised. Uh, Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forever. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord who sits enthroned on high? So we see from these verses that our declaration that our Father is in heaven is more than just saying that, well, our God, you know, has a dwelling place in heaven. It's so much more than that. We are saying that our, that our God in his power, in his sovereignty, and in his majesty is superior to all powers and principalities, whether in the heavens or whether on earth, right? He is, he is over. His glory is above. He is enthroned on high. And the psalmist asked the question, who is like the Lord God? King Nebuchadnezzar thought he was like the Lord God. We read in Daniel 4 where the king is walking along the top of his palace and he says, Is it not by my power and for the, uh, for the glory of my majesty that I have built this great Babylon? And then a voice came from heaven and said, This is decreed against you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority will be taken away from you. For seven years, you will, uh, you will be you will separated from people and you will live along, among the wild animals and you will eat grass like the oxen until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the nations of the world. So, so we take this event and we, we look at it, and it's a wonderful representation of what heaven thinks about man's vainglory, our, 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 uh, our attempt to be glorious in our own eyes. And we see that, that the heaven sees us as wild beasts, that, that um, because of our rebellion uh, against God, the heaven sees us less than, uh, less than human now. We just think of think of uh, think of Adam and Eve in, in the Garden Garden of Eden. Um, they believed the lie of Satan, rather than than remaining faithful to the promise of God. And so, through their disobedience, they threw mankind and creation into a spiraling, um, corrupted existence. And now, like Nebuchadnezzar, uh, it, it is man's nature to to boast to boast about accomplishments. And try to take the glory for ourselves, saying that it is a result of our own efforts, of our own powers, separated from the God of heaven. So we build, as it is, our own Babylons. And we take glory, we take representations, these Babylons we build for ourselves are representations uh, of not only our existence on the earth, but how we try to reign on earth apart from the Lord God. So, um, so it's, as if, it's as if we raise our fists to God and we raise our, our banners against Him. We, we, try to, we try to fight and free ourselves from the authority of God, His kingdom, His kingdom reign. We try to break off His chains and throw off His shackles. Think of King David in Psalm 57. He says, 
I'm in the midst of lions. I'm surrounded by ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are like spears and arrows and whose tongues are like sharp swords. Uh, sorry, sharp swords. But even in that, even in that, uh, David can cry out, "Be exalted, O God, above the heavens! Your glory is above the nations." So, it, so, so we have David in the spirit. He sees that he's surrounded by wicked people. But even then, in that state, he can cry out, "Lord God, you are superior to all these things, and I believe and I have faith in you." But David can also cry out in the spirit, sing out Psalm eight. He says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. When I consider your heavens and the working of your fingers, how you've set these things in place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? What are human beings that you care for them? So even in the midst uh, of, of blatant rebellion and disobedience, God has not forsaken his covenant people, the people he's made in his image. On the contrary, rather, God has, has revealed his promises and his covenant with mankind that one day he will crush the head of the serpent. One day he will bless the whole world and one day he will set up his kingdom on earth. And all of this he will do, he will fulfill through the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, the son of David, and the son of God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed is your name. Your kingdom come. Luke records a wonderful conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees where the Pharisees ask him, where's the kingdom? When is the kingdom of God coming? So, so anticipation for the kingdom of God in Jesus' time was, was, right, was in, uh, accelerated. It was heightened. Ever since the Jews returned from Babylon to, to, uh, to Jerusalem, so in Judea and the surrounding area, the expectation of the coming of the kingdom of God was, uh, <clears throat> was heightened. So we can understand the, the, the Pharisees ask, asking this question. Um, right, the, the reign of Babylon and the Persians and the Medes and, and, and the Greeks have come and passed. So for the Jews, Rome was surely this, for, this fourth beast, this fourth kingdom in, da, in Daniel's vision. And, and it's that empire in which time the kingdom, the messianic kingdom, would be, would be set up. Therefore, the Jews had asked Jesus a valid question, especially in the light of what Jesus was saying and doing in the area of that time. Right? John the Baptist came... Uh, um, um, proclaiming from the Jordan River that the kingdom of God is at hand. And there is one who is coming, uh, who, who is more powerful than I, whose sandal straps I am not worthy to take. And, G- and John uh, pointed to Jesus and told his disciples to follow him. And the very next day that John's disciples could, could, could start to... to to proclaim to the people that we have found the Messiah, the one that Moses and the prophets, uh, the one that Moses and prophets have written about. 
Then Jesus started proclaiming that the the kingdom of God has come. And Jesus started performing signs and wonders, things that only uh, only the Messiah himself could do. And then Jesus also started using the title Son of Man for himself. Very significant, because as we read in Daniel's vision, the Son of Man, it is he who comes in the clouds of heaven and, and approaches the Ancient of Days and enters into his presence. And it's the Son of Man who gets power and, uh, and glory over the earth. All the nations that, 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 uh, will, will worship him. His dominion is everlasting. And his kingdom will never de- be destroyed. So to, par- so, to, to, so to paraphrase the Pharisees, if you're going to walk the walk of the Messiah and you're going to talk the talk of the Son of Man, tell us then, Jesus, where is the kingdom? So Jesus tells them. He says, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that could be observed. They won't say, here it is or there it is, but it is in your midst or it is among you. But because the Pharisees' hearts had become callous to Jesus and to his teachings, because they were ever listening but never understanding, ever seeing but never perceiving, Jesus could only talk to them in parables. Because as Jesus told his disciples, the knowledge of the secret of the kingdom has been given to you and not to them. So tension grew between Jesus and, and the Sanhedrin, his religious leaders, and they began to plot to kill him. And on the night, uh, on the night that he shared the Passover meal with his, with his disciples in the upper room, later on in the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived uh, with a crowd of people with clubs and, and, and swords to take Jesus by force. And Jesus said to them, Am I starting a rebellion? You come at me with swords and clubs. I taught with you daily in the temple courts, and you never, you never touched me then. But then Jesus says, But this is your hour and the hour of darkness. And I could just picture the disciples, just their minds swirling. Lord, what do you mean the hour of darkness? What about the kingdom, your kingdom? This was supposed to be the hour of the, of the Messiah's reign. But Jesus had tried to, to comfort his, or to prepare his disciples before that. In John, in John 12, we read, Jesus, Jesus says, My heart is troubled, and what, and what shall I say? Uh, Father, save me from this hour? Jesus said, No. It is for this reason that I came to this hour. For now is the judgment of the world. Now the prince of this world will be cast out. And in John 14, John 14 Jesus says, The prince of this world is coming. And he has nothing on me. Now listen to this. And Jesus says, but the world, but so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as he has commanded. Did you hear that? That's incredible. John 3.16 is a pillar, pillar of the gospel. Absolutely right. Because God, yes, God so did love the world that he gave his son But another pillar of the gospel is that the Son so loved the Father that he gave himself. He gave himself because it was the Father's command, the Father's will, that he suffer and then 
enter into his glory. So Jesus willfully allowed the hour of darkness, the prince of this world, to overtake him, to destroy him. Why? So that the world could know, the world could see the eternal love between the Father and the Son. So, so Daniel, Daniel saw the Son of Man um, coming into the presence of God. A human one. Daniel saw a person coming into the presence of God to receive the kingdom. How could this be? The only way that a Son of Man could receive the kingdom as if he was the Son of God. The Son who is the radiant glory of the Father, who is the exact uh, express uh, being of God. And after he, after, he made, um, after he provided purification for sins, then he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. So the kingdom of God has been set up, established in Jesus through his, through his death. He's, he's made atonement for sin. The, the, the prince of this world has been cast out and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. But the question still remains then, where and when and how do we see the kingdom working and functioning on the earth? And we go back to what, what Daniel said, what we saw in Daniel's vision that it was the holy people, God's holy people, who were handed the kingdom. It was God's holy people who received the kingdom. It was God's holy people who possessed the kingdom. But the kingdom does not come by observation, then how does it come? It comes through the glory of of the church, the glory of Christians. It comes through you and I. It comes um, through our love for the Father. It comes through us because we, like Jesus, love the Father and do what he has commanded us. The glory of the kingdom of God comes to, to, uh, to those who do the will of God on earth as it is in heaven. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is the will of God on earth as it is in heaven? There have been so many books written about it. There's been there's so much money you know, made just on the back of that topic. But the Bible talks a lot about it. The Sermon on the Mount, uh, right? Matthew, Matthew 5 to 7. Almost like a detailed list of what God's will is for us. Right? A huge portion of the New Testament is, is to believers telling them, uh, encouraging them to live by the will of God. But I think the Apostle Paul summarizes it best in Romans 12, chapter 2, in just two sentences. He says, um, do not be conformed to. Darn, I should know this. 
sorry, do not, conf- do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove what is the will of God, the good and pleasing, perfect will of God. So the pattern of this world, as we saw in Nebuchadnezzar, is to build kings, kingdoms, to take glory for, for, for ourselves, to, to excel at, at, at any cost, apart from the sovereignty of God. But God's good, please, good and pleasing will is for his believers to have the opposite attitude. For, holy people to be, for his people to be holy and set, set apart, from such a corrupt attitude and to live a humble and God-fearing life that is the result of a new mind, a result of being born again and through the grace and power of God in Christ Jesus. So one of my favorite examples of someone who, who's, who does the will of God, who's been renewed, is... Um, the chief tax collector Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. Jesus is passing through Jericho and Zacchaeus is up in the tree because he wants to see him. And Jesus stops and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to stay with I need to stay with you tonight. So while they're at Zacchaeus' place and Zacchaeus is hosting a dinner, Zacchaeus stands up and he says, Look, Lord, from now on, I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody, if I cheated anybody, I will pay it back four times. Now, the law only, uh, the law only indicated that you need to pay back one-fifth. Like, if you cheated somebody out of $100, you need to pay them back $100 plus an extra 20 Zacchaeus is saying, if I cheated somebody out of $100, I'm going to give them back this $100 plus an extra 300 I had my wallet stolen the other day. I'm hoping it was Zacchaeus. <laughs> So what's fantastic about this passage is that when Zacchaeus stands up and says that, and I'm going to, you know, I'll give half my money to the poor and I'll pay back four times. The great thing about that is Jesus cannot contain himself. And Jesus stands up and he says, salvation has come to this house for this man is a child of Abraham. Right? Paul says to test, to test the will of God, to, to approve it. And there's your approval right there. Zacchaeus the Lord God is approving that, yes, you are doing the will of God. You, Zacchaeus, have been transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then Jesus tells a wonderful parable to, to show Zacchaeus what it's going to be like for him now to, to not to be conformed to this world. Right? Jesus tells a story about, about uh, um, if, if I can paraphrase this, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Judea has died. So his, so his uh, rightful heir is traveling to Rome to get approval from the Roman emperor for him to be king. So before he leaves, he gathers, uh, the, the, this nobleman gathers ten of his servants and gives them each a mina. He says, go and put my money to work until I come back. So this nobleman goes to Rome, gets approval from the Roman emperor to be king, and he comes back. I'm, I'm thinking it's, it can't be that long, maybe a month or so. So he comes back and he calls for his servants and he says, what have you guys done with my minas? 
So right, so the one servant says, look, Lord, I've made ten minas. Another one says, I've made five. But then we have that other servant that says, I just took your mina and I wrapped it in a cloth because I was afraid of you. Because you're a hard man, you, 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 you take what, uh, um, You take out what you did not put in and you reap what you have not sown. Okay, so my question to you is, which one of these servants proved the good and pleasing will of God? I'm not asking you which one was the most faithful steward to the king, right? That's a separate and common and valid interpretation. But I'm asking you, which one of these servants was, uh, which one of these servants proved the will of God? And before you answer that question, you have to ask yourself, well, what did the nobleman mean by put my money to work? And how did those two other servants make such a profit so quickly? And who were those servants? And we find the answer to those questions in something that Zacchaeus said in his confession. He said, if I, who was I? Zacchaeus, who is he? Tax collector. And how did he make his money? If I have cheated anybody. So who were these ten servants? Tax collectors. And how did they make their money? They cheated people. Through corruption. By using people. By dealing shrewdly with them. Let me give you an example. Okay, so um, one of the tax collectors has his mina. And he goes to a landowner. A farmer has a small patch of land. And the tax collector says... My master demands his taxes now. And the landowner says, Lord, it's not yet the harvest. I have not sold anything. I have no money. Have mercy on me. Just wait a few, men, few months and I'll, I will be able to pay you. And the tax collector says, no. My, ta- my master demands his money now. Lord, I have no money. Please have mercy on me. And the tax collector says, pay now or I'm putting you in prison until, it, until it's paid. And the landowner says, my wife and my children, Lord, I cannot. Please have mercy. And the tax collector, tax collector says, there's another option. Sell me your property for one mina. And we'll call it even. And the line owner says, but it's worth so much more. The choice is yours. So the landowner is forced to sell his property to this tax collector for a single mina. Three months wages. What does the tax collector do? He turns around and sells that property for what? Four, five minutes. Makes a profit. And he does this two or three times. And by the time the king comes back, he's got ten minutes. How did he make his money? Corruption. Cheating. Dealing shrewdly with his fellow Israelites. But there is that one, one servant who took the mina and he said, I will have nothing to do with this. He wrapped it in a cloth. Maybe buried in the ground, spit on it. I will no longer be conformed to this world. I will not cheat my fellow Israelites. I will not deal shrewdly with them. My master is a hard man. He takes out where he has not put in. He reaps where he has not sown. And I will have no part of it. So I'll ask you again. Which one of these servants proved the good and pleasing perfect will of God? I don't think I need to answer that for you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. As the Jenkinsons come back up and, and then uh, close in the final song, there's the last song, right, Dave? Okay, come on up. So, in closing, I ask you this question. What are you going to give your father for Father's Day? What do you give a father who literally has everything? And as we heard through these verses, what do we give a father who has given us everything? You give him, anybody? Everything. You give him your heart, your soul, and your mind, and your strength. You give him complete obedience to his will here on earth as it is in heaven. You give him a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Father, thank you for not forsaking us. Thank you, though, we rebelled against you, though we're beast-like in our attitude towards you and towards each other. Lord, Father, you have promised to send your Son the one who would, uh, who, who would destroy the power of evil and the power of death, that we may have life eternal in you. Let us, Lord Father, not to be like King Nebuchadnezzar, seeking our own glory, but like the Lord Jesus, to do as the Father has commanded us. May your will be done, Lord Father, on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.